Why, hello. Didn't see you there. I'm Eden, host of this podcast called Life of the Jet, about the lives and stories from the Jet alumni community. In this episode, we continue with the theme of working in the Japanese public sector, and our speaker is Andy Coombs, who currently works for the Fukushima City Tourism and Convention Association, with the responsibility of promoting tourism for Fukushima City. Andy came to Fukushima on jet and, like many of us, fell in love with his second home in Japan and stayed on far longer than he intended, eventually marrying a local and starting a family. He's a passionate advocate for his adopted homeland, which is how we connected online, as I did my exchange and placement in Fukushima too. So you'll hear us showing much labu-labu or love for Fukushima, waxing lyrical about Fukushima's many charms, its history, culture, and natural beauty. Andy will also be talking about his day job, the benefits of lightly gaijin smashing for efficiency, and of course, give an elevator pitch for why you should visit this hidden gem for your next trip to Japan. Well, I feel a lot of people, you know, they, they'll graduate uni and then they come to JET. This whole Japan experience thing is something that they've been kind of working towards for a while. Mm. Whereas I, I, I was a bit different because, you know, I didn't study Japanese. I, I grew up with, you know, video games and anime culture. Yeah. But, you know, studying Japanese, coming to Japan wasn't something that I, I'd, I'd um, thought that I would do. Mm-hmm. And... Originally, I started um, as an engineering student, mm. and Newcastle University has a sister relationship with a technical university in Kanagawa, mm-hmm. Shuhoku University. They used to have the, the robot soccer dogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So I, I got a chance to come to Kanagawa for um, a week, 10 days, as part of kind of with some engineering students. At the time, I wasn't happy with what I was studying and that kind of opened my eyes and thought, okay, um, here's something that I might enjoy more. And, and after that, kind of seeing Japan culture up close, I changed to an arts degree with a linguistics major. I'd always been interested in languages, but you know, never had really had an opportunity to use anything other than English. So I thought eventually I would move into education once I finished my arts degree, then I applied for, for the JET program. Mm. And that's how I ended up in, in Fukushima. The unusual thing is, so I was, what, 26 by the time I started on JET, which kind of was a few years older than a lot of people who were straight out of uni. Mm. I didn't have much. I, I think I did six months of introductory Japanese at uni to prepare myself before I came. So the first week I'm there, I go into my school, into the principal's office, and there on the wall is a photo of my school principal from high school. <laughs> it was really surreal experience to see. Um, Japanese wasn't on the radar when I was at high school, mm. but it turns out my high school and Nakajima Junior High School had a sister school relationship. Wow. So somebody on the JET program that organizes this thing has seen that and, yeah. and kind of set up this link, but it wasn't something that I, I considered when I joined JET. So, yeah, Nakajima Village, it's a really small 
village of about 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. So what are the chances that I would end up here at the sister school of my high school from, from <laughs> it's, high it's school a... Newcastle to rural yeah. Japan? Yeah, yes. and I actually found out one of my one of my friends at high school, his older sister, mm. came on an exchange program to Nakajima in Fukushima. <laughs> wow. And then, you know, I, I really fell in love with that the lifestyle and working at the schools there and... Mm. Originally, I thought, I'll work in Japan for two years. That'll be a good experience. I'll have, I don't know, at least basic Japanese by then. And I'll go back to Australia and, and, and teach. Yeah. But, you know, two years turns to three, four, five years. <laughs> and then, then my fifth year was 2011, the earthquake, mm-hmm. which was quite intense. Mm-hmm. It, it would have been quite easy for me to kind of, okay, that's the fifth year of my JET program go back to Australia now, that's a good time. But, mm. you know, I wanted to help my community rebuild mm. after the earthquake. So I stayed on for another three years teaching because the JET is limited to the five-year contract. They kept me on for another three years after that on, mm. a, on a private contract. Mm. And once I finished, they did, they did go back to JET and have a, another Australian guy come in. But I thought, you know, I wanted to do more to help Fukushima mm. after the earthquake. And I came back to Monash mm. for the, the Masters of Interpreting and Translation Studies. That's an 18 month program at Monash University. And that kind of helped develop some extra skills that I'm mm. using now. I think it was 2016 when I, when I came back to Fukushima City and mm. I started working for the Fukushima City tourism and convention association mm. because Fukushima city was supposed to be a softball venue for Tokyo 2020 this year. I guess it'll just be pushed back 12 months. So, so helping the city kind of improve its uh, international tourism and to help with international yeah. tourists coming to Fukushima city. How did that come about? Like, how did you find out about it? And what was the interview process like? Um, You're smiling. Well, <laughs> Yeah, it was like four years before the Olympics. Mm. I think a lot of organisations had received special grants from the federal government to help with internationalisation. Yeah. And pretty much within the space of one month, there was um, another a British uh, lady who was hired by the, the Prefectural Tourism Board mm-hmm. and another American guy who works for the products exporting Japan, um, Japanese products around the world. So mm-hmm. all three of us were kind of hired at the same time. I came back, I think it was like April when I came back to, to Fukushima, and I was just working freelance from home at that time. I guess it was networking was the best way for me. There yeah. was the, the Fukushima International Association. They have meetings with local guide associations mm-hmm. um, quite regularly. So I went along and, and, and just met people who work in tourism. Yeah. At, at the time, I wasn't looking for the position. I was working freelance and, you know, I was trying to get more freelance work, maybe from the prefecture or from the city. What, what's and your freelancing job? Was it just translating documents or...? Just translating Japanese to English. Right, yeah. okay. The majority of the work I did was for visas and people need, you know, if you're traveling to Australia, driver's licenses translated, birth certificates translated, marriage certificates 
to help with visa applications and stuff like that. The Australian Board of Translators is called NATI, N-A-A-T-I. So I was one of the few uh, NATI accredited translators Mm -hmm. in Japan. So, yeah, a lot of work for that. There's J-A-T as well, JAT. That's Mm -hmm. the Japan, I should know, something translators. So that's the the local organization in, in Japan. They have a group in Sendai who is just up the road. So I went and met other freelance translators who are working in Sendai. There's a, a community in Sendai, not so much in Fukushima, but, you know, it's something I can do from home. Japan Association of Translators. Yes. I just spent six months networking with various organizations, and then I got a call from one of the ladies who I met through a meeting at the International Association. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, the, the Fukushima city is looking for someone to work at the tourist information center to help international tourists when they come in. Mm-hmm. At the time, the, my initial contract, I mean, the pay wasn't great, the hours weren't great, mm-hmm. but it, it, was, it was constant work and it was interesting. My initial role was to kind of help with the website and they didn't have any social media or anything. So I, I, I built, uh, I started a Facebook page and mm. Instagram and, and YouTube and things like that to kind of help build the, the yeah. brand. And the yeah. Fukushima Guide is the brand we use for Fukushima yeah. City. Because that, that has a lot of good information on it, uh, especially sort of the more obscure stuff that um, bigger uh, agencies like JNTO would just miss. And that's what I really liked about, about that site. Yeah, we're, we're still working with web designers to get a new web page up in July. I'm not sure I'm not sure I have a lot of confidence in it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of updating and yeah. Yeah. What's it, what's it like uh, working in the Japanese bureaucracy and is it all that you that you imagine and more? Well, I'd worked for 8 years at schools in Japan, so I was kind of aware Oops. of the environment yeah. and the love affair of the fax machine in Japan. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, our office is slowly transitioning towards more a paperless office. And I think now dealing with COVID-19 is going to help people do more online rather than rely on mm. printouts and, and, and face-to-face meetings. I was actually discussing this with a, another translator friend of mine the other day. Mm. A lot of English that you see at the stations and around the city, it's more as just decoration rather than actual useful signage. The first thing I did was I was rather strict on on people saying that if you translate, this is the name of one of our tourist destinations, you should be using the same translation on all documents. And it was something that like (laughs) never really occurred to them. Right. Everything would be translated like three or four different ways by whichever translation agency cost the lowest amount of money. Government cost cutting is the same the world over, yeah. Oh, I'm still waiting on Fukushima Station. There's an underpass that leads from, from the west side of the station to the east side of the station. It's supposed to say maybe like the east-west underpass, but somebody's obviously put east-west into Google Translate or whatever, and it's oh, come out no. as compass direction. <laughs> so there's, there's this sign that says, 
compass direction underpass. It's been there for four years that I've been working there and I keep saying we need to update the signage and it was always, okay, we'll get money for the Olympics and we'll update the signage. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, maybe it's good that we've got another year to to prepare (laughs) the Olympics, but I can't see that sign being updated. And I was talking about several different translations of the same topic. There's no quality control at all. Basically, the rules of grammar uh, take second place to aesthetic value, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it would only take me like 20, 30 minutes to kind of check an Excel file if they wanted to send it to me first. But yeah, the Fukushima City Hall have learned from the past that they can send me stuff and I'll check it and send it back. But there's still other, you know, the transport organization and mm. other um, onsen associations and things that are still have teething problems with their English. Yeah, we definitely have different levels of onsen and ryokan here. There are at the bottom level who I've I've made inquiries for international guests and they've said, sorry, we can't do English. We we, we don't accept Mm. international guests. Mm. And then there's the next level up where they're aware that they don't have the the language capability, Mm. but they really really want international guests to come and enjoy their stay. So they, they will try. Mm. And then there are others who are a bit more proactive that do have, you know, menus and room guides, and they may even have a staff member who can speak English. So, yeah, yeah, I just kind of want the lower levels to kind of get a bit more confidence, and we can discuss about, you know, what they need to be able to mm. to help international guests because it's not always English speaking guests that we have. We do have a lot of guests from Thailand and Vietnam and mm. China as well. Mm. Especially a lot of international guests, if they're if they're coming to Fukushima, they've mm. probably had other experiences around Japan. So it's not like their first time. Yeah, with dealing with that language barrier. What is the biggest challenge? A lot of new ALTs now are coming in. I think with better Japanese than I have. I only have I think the JLPT. I only have N two. I don't have N one. Mm. Even working as a translator, I don't really see the point of having N one. Mm. I do have problems kind of communicating what I want to do. You know, you have a yearly budget, a yearly plan. Mm. So anything that goes beyond a one-year plan is, oh, no, no, we can't do that. That's not in the budget. Starting on April 1st is when the new financial year starts. And then, okay, in that next 12 months, they've kind of gone, okay, how many videos do you want to make? Mm. How many posts do you plan to make on on facebook and everything gets set on that 12 month plan but i kind of need need to be planning two or three years ahead and working towards that but Mm. within the official city hall or the prefectural hall everyone's job possibly changes in 12 months Mm. so it's it's hard to set long-term goals that are longer than than one year the biggest frustration at the moment and getting funding for for projects that i think are important so it sounds like it's a constant battle i suppose are you jockeying for a finite uh, amount of funds with other projects in other divisions yes if i want to suggest a new project mm. then we have to kind of cut that funds from somewhere else and being march now i get a lot of a lot of requests from city hall they have to spend their budget before the end of march mm. the, the financial year Mm. So they're printing up all these new English pamphlets. Mm-hmm. I'm getting all these requests for, can you check the English? Can you check the English? 
that's just March every year. It happens every year. How does it feel as a foreigner working in local government? Uh, I guess when I started, I I could be very polite and just wait the Japanese way. And I, I wanted to make sure that things were done, especially the translations. I was mm. very pushy about mm. when things are wrong and yeah. how you should do them. I think people appreciated me being rather direct. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, because the Japanese people they they feel they can't yeah. they can't be that direct in their um their dealings with people communications. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of from the start I was like, okay, now this is wrong. You need to fix this. Mm. And now, especially the city hall, who who I mentioned earlier, is sending me. Mm. All their ch- translations to be checked in March. That's a result of they know Andy's going to do it properly and be serious about it because he's very direct. If it's not right, yeah, you're not necessarily gaijin smashing your way through things. It's just like they <laughs> would you say they give you a little bit of a leeway because of I yeah I do I do get more like you said more leeway probably than the Japanese employees yeah to kind of push boundaries a bit more. Kind of, I'm I'm here for for having a non-Japanese point of view, basically. If I don't give them that, then you know, foreign tourists come in, they might have a problem with several things. They're not going to tell us. They're just not going to come back to Fukushima. One problem we have is booking booking systems and things online. There's there's nothing. We've had people kind of book tours to come and then cancel the week before, but because we don't have any online payment、mm. system. You、mm. just had to say, okay, they're not coming. Sounds like a business idea there. Like if somebody in Fukushima City could set up like a common payment system or a gateway to service there, local,、uh, yeah, businesses. There are a lot of、um, kind of websites like that that cover all of Japan, and then you search by prefecture or by topic. Mm. Mm. So also Voyagin is one. That we've been, we've looked at a few of them, but then then you have to pay like thirty percent fees to these companies to host your、um, events. So if money was no barrier, outline for me your grand scheme of what you want to achieve for Fukushima tourism. Well, a lot of it now is just getting everything online and connected. I mean, so we might do something on on Facebook, but then. That's not connected with any of our other projects on YouTube or on Instagram. Everything is has its own little、mm. separate case. It's hard. To, it's hard to get a a big complete project that uses、mm. multiple channels and、mm. even trying to get funding for maybe I want to use Google AdWords to do a campaign、mm. online. It's yeah. No, I have to apply for that like six months in advance. I would love them to hire a web designer in house,、mm-hmm. so that we had someone for our, our new website that's coming later in the year.、Mm-hmm. We took a tender of some local web design companies, but they ended up going for a company in Nagoya, which、mm-hmm. is on the other side of the country. I, I think it's in Fukushima's best interest that they kind of have someone in Fukushima City that is capable of、yeah. doing this type of work. Hire local, yeah, yeah. And that way, we keep the money in the city, and we build also the skills, and they can employ people. And yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of build the city. Should we start about what's great about Fukushima as a tourist destination? 
well, you know, when I when I started on Jet, I, I was really looking for something a bit more rural and a bit more rustic away from the, the big cities. Yeah. And, you know, living in, in like a little village in the middle of the rice fields and things had that very kind of escape from Tokyo type thing. Mm. I love Tokyo, but I don't want to live there. Fukushima, it's only, what, 90 minutes on the Shinkansen from Tokyo? Yes. We do get a lot of people who kind of do day trips on, on the, the JR Pass. There's lots of, like, you know, hiking and onsen, and part of my work is trying to convince people to turn that day trip into, you know, a one-night stay, a two-night stay. Yeah. There are so many cool little ryokan and hotels. They just uh, don't have... I guess the language skills to to cope with a lot of tourism, but if if you're willing to kind of make that step, yeah, some amazing little little uh, ryokans you can visit. I think people forget that there's actually good skiing in Fukushima as well. Yes, great skiing out west in the Aizu area. Yeah, yeah. Urabandai, for yeah. example, and it's cheaper, not as crowded. I I guess like I went snowboarding there. That was my first time. <laughs> Snow. <laughs> So what else do I like about Fukushima? The food? Mm, yes. Um, Fukushima has a lot of ramen. With my friends in Tokyo and, and they say, oh, you're in Fukushima, we got, we want to come up and like the Kitakata ramen mm-hmm. is really famous. And then Shirakawa ramen as well is, is really good. Even in Fukushima City here, we have quite a few good ramen places. Sake is Yeah, fantastic. I haven't mentioned gold awards for, what, seven years in a row? Nihonmatsu sake, right? Or yeah. was it... Nihonmatsu's a lot, and the Aizu area has a lot more. We only have one sake brewery in Fukushima City. If, if you want sake, you, you can't go wrong with, with Fukushima. Well, I bought Nihonmatsu sake, or two of them, actually. One, unfortunately, went as a present to someone else, <laughs> because I didn't get to drink it. Uh, the other one... I think I finished it by myself within a month. <laughs> You're supposed to drink the good sake. You don't let it sit. Yeah. I know. No, especially not after you open it. It's only it's only good for, for a short period of time. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I drank it all by myself. I mean, <laughs> oh, such, a, such a hard thing to do. So hard to do. Uh, <laughs> Driving as well is kind of under underrated way to see Japan. You can kind of see the the real Japan that you don't see if you're in Tokyo and Kyoto. Mm. There's all all the standard kind of tourist visit spots. Yeah. It's much easier to kind of create your own unique adventure if you're coming to somewhere like Fukushima. What would be a recommended route? Uh, I think the best route in Fukushima would be starting from probably from Fukushima Station. And if you drive out west through, there's Takayu Onsen. Mm. And up to the Bandaiazuma skyline, there's um, hiking and there's actually an, an active volcano up there you can go really? and see. Every now and then it kind of rumbles and they, they close down the roads. But uh, it's actually opening on Friday this week, April 17th. Oh. You can drive up through the Bandaiazuma skyline. You can see Fukushima City on one side and then Noashiro Lake on the other. It goes past Tsuchu Onsen and then turns off to Mount Bandai and, of course, Shikinuma area. Mm-hmm. And so that can take you from Fukushima Station through to, to Aizu Wakamatsu, mm-hmm. see the castle. Yeah, I think one day, even one day, is, there's a lot to do. Probably break that up into two days. And even, even south of Aizu Wakamatsu City, there's some nice areas, Ochijuku and Tonohetsuri. That is the gorge? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another a nice area to, for driving. 
So yeah, Bandai Zuma Skyline is probably our second most popular spot after Hanamiyama. They actually have a, an observatory up there as well, up on Bandai Zuma Skyline. I didn't know that, yeah. And maybe Wednesday and Saturday nights, they open the observatory and you can go and, and do stargazing. Now, what, what is Hanamiyama? So Hanami is, you know, the cherry blossom viewing. And Hanamiyama, I think it was started about 60 years ago. There was a local uh, farmer. He kind of produces flowering trees for, you know, the cuts for the florists and things. He has this whole side of the mountain. I think they're up to the third generation of the family now that this business has been passed on to. Yeah. It's such a beautiful area. It's private property, but it's open to the general public. And you can see not just cherry blossoms, but they have like a wide range of flowering plants. Early to mid-April is the peak period, but, you know, in summer, there's flowering plants in summer and autumn as well. Yeah, cherry blossom season is quite hectic up there. In terms of cultural things, uh, what is the most well-known spot in Fukushima for people who are interested in culture? Yeah, it would have to be Aizu Wakamatsu and mm-hmm. uh, Tsurugajo Castle. Mm-hmm. So that that was that's famous for the Boshin War. They were quite a strong samurai clan. When the emperor and the shogun fought, and the emperor kind of took control of of most of Japan, but then you still had northern northern Japan was holding out. They even instilled their own new um, shogun. Kind of all the history led with the, the wars and things. I mean, you see Tom Cruise in in the Last Samurai, but kind of the Aizu area was where that story kind of happened. Oh, okay, yeah. Were there any foreigners fighting in the Bushin War in Fukushima? There was a group of, I think it was French. I don't know if you know that a lot of the the samurai groups from northern Fukushima, they ran away to Hokkaido. They created a new country in Hokkaido. Yes, and the final battle was around Goryokaku Fort yes. at yes. Hakodate. Yeah. A lot of their advisors were French military people. I think a few of the, the heads of the Aizu clan, they retreated to Hokkaido with that group mm-hmm. of people. So. And and then, of course, you've got the Soma no Maoi uh, festival. Yeah, the, the horseback samurai. Really amazing to see. It's, it's very, very humid, though. Middle of summer. <laughs> Guys on, on heavy horseback armor running around. And and um, it's it's definitely something I think people should see. Three days, I think it's a three-day festival. Basically, yes. the descendants of the noble houses or the military houses, they put on the armor and they start off with a parade in three towns. And a lot of the armor is actually authentic as well. Like, it's yes. their heirloom. It's been passed down, yeah, it's through generations. Yeah. What's the highlight of this, the festival? I think it's the second day where they have, um, it's divided into two sections. They have the races it's just, it's like horse races, but they're dressed up on, on the, with their armor, with the flags yeah. flying in the wind on the back. Yeah. And they'll, they'll just, it's a horse race. And then the second part is when they shoot the flags into the air and there'll be about a hundred horses all gathered around and whoever can catch the flag, you know, gets a special blessing from the local um, shrine or the head of the clan. Mm. It's one of those things that festivals in Japan, I don't know how they cover um, injuries and public liability. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing about OHNS in Japan, right? Like things that would happen in festivals in Japan would horrify people in, in Western countries if they knew. Like, for example, the Taimatsu, the fire festival in Tsukugawa. Yeah. 
I, I, I love it. I went there and you basically get handed a what well, kerosene soaked ball of flammable material tied with twine or, or wire to a, to a fishing stick. And then someone just sets it on fire and you walk around <laughs> in, in an orderly uh, managed line, I should say, holding this ball of fire. <laughs> And I have seen kids as young as, I don't know, eight, basically, six or eight, just holding it. I mean, carefully supervised. And of course, they have park workers stationed at every waypoint with small little fire extinguishers, you know, quickly putting it out. But it is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, we have um, a festival in Fukushima City called the Kenkamatsuri, which is the fighting festival. Cool. Have you seen that one? No, tell me more about that one. Each each area of it's in Izaka Onsen. Uh-huh. Each area of Izaka Onsen has their own shrine and they it takes about twenty, probably more, twenty to thirty guys to carry this shrine around. All line up in front of the, the shrine and they ram them together like a battering ram. And oh, it lifts yes. up, lifts up and they're like riding on top of it and it's called the Kenkamatsuri because the shrines are fighting, but the guys carrying it they have a few drinks while they're doing it. It's not they a bit of beef and yeah. there's there's um ambulances ready to go and Wow. It's it's intense. In Fukushima City, there used to be a castle here several hundred years ago. The Lord of, of Fukushima area has always been quite powerful but the castle is no longer there but a lot of sites related to the castle you can see and some of the temples around there i think the earliest temple dates back to about the year 800 so and then there's a few to like the 1200s 1300s as well do you know shirakawa no seki which is down the southern end of fukushima it's like the wall in game of thrones oh no no tell me more about that there there was this wall that marked civilized land right, from yeah. the northern barbarians Right, okay. It, it was in Shirakawa was where that wall, there's like a gate called Shirakawa no Seki in Shirakawa, yeah. which is in southern Fukushima Prefecture. North of Shirakawa is like the uncivilized land. And do you know Matsuo Basho, the haiku poet? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah so he travelled from the Shirakawa no Seki up through Tohoku and he was writing haiku poems. Wow. The whole way. Yeah. And that, that became his book, the long road deep road of the the north so you can you can follow his path through Fukushima and I think he goes to Matsushima and then travels around Tohoku area so we have a lot of people who are interested in kind of following his trail do you uh, organize any tours yourself or is it on by demand only a lot of the people who are interested in in following that route I I guess are backpackers and Mm. there's a few Airbnb places around where you can stay and yeah, yeah but we, we don't do organized tours for that. Do you do organized tours for anything else? We have some local artisans, like a local bonsai artist in Fukushima City. Mm-hmm. His grandfather actually started was making bonsai for the emperor. And now he's like the third generation, and they're based in Fukushima City because the area I mentioned earlier about the Bandaizuma skyline. Yeah, they get the the pine. It's called Goyomatsu. It's like a five needle pine. So they have this very specific pine that they use for the bonsai. And they actually have some interest, a lot of people from Italy and France, rather than English-speaking countries, Europe, the bonsai is really popular. And another tour we do is Fujiyasu Sensei. He makes traditional Japanese swords. So he uses the, the techniques 
that they used kind of 800, 1,000 years ago to kind of recreate those old-style swords. Mm. You can go and, and, and visit his workshop and, and use a little hammer and, and make your own little sword. So I think you can go up to 19 centimetres for a blade for a carry, um, for wow. check luggage, not carry. Don't put it in your carry-on. <laughs> <laughs> check it with your check luggage. <laughs> He uses traditional techniques and materials, mm. so it is quite expensive. You're looking mm. at like $800 plus. Yeah, he's quite a renowned swordsmith in Japan. Is he a living treasure? Uh, no, he's not, but the guy who taught him is. He's like a, an apprentice of one of the great swordsmiths of Japan. Yeah. But he's, he's still quite well regarded. Wow. I'm just thinking like in other places, for example, Yanaizu. Yes. I remember going to that temple where... Reputedly, that's where the Akabeko legend was born. Yes. Uh, I don't remember the name of the Akabeko, uh, the, the name of that temple. I do remember they actually have one of the naked men festivals that's yes. run in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> they, I've they seen do it. it. Yeah. Oh, you have. Yeah. I, I haven't um, participated. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it sounded very dangerous to me because it's in the middle of winter. Yes. Everyone has to be basically stark naked except for a loincloth yeah. and barefoot and supposedly they pour water on the steps leading up to the temple to make it icy and slippery is that right possibly i've seen some of those there are there are similar festivals where you douse yourself in in cold yeah. water yeah at night and yeah and race through the temple and climb up the rope like What's a other naked men <laughs> What's it like? Like, how do you watch something like that? There's usually areas outside the temple where you can see everyone rushing through, but mm. they let all the participants make sure that they have a clear passage to, to get through. And yeah, if you want a good seat, it pays to get there early and it's cold. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All these festivals that happen, there's so, so many of it so obscure. Like, no, people don't know about it. And for me, one of the most special ones was attending the Tono Matsuri, the Tono Moon Festival. And it's a village up in the mountains, and you can only get there by car. There's no public transport, obviously not at night. We parked our car in the playing field of the local junior high school, yeah. and we followed the path that's lit up by all these paper lanterns that were made by the uh, local Yochien, the local kindergarten kids. And you follow the path. And I remember we go up a hill and just as we got to the top of the hill, the moon suddenly came out and it flooded the whole scene with light. And I could see very clearly the path lit up by the lanterns making its way down the hill uh, between rice fields and on to the distant festival, which you can just hear the music coming out of it and it looks so idyllic it looks like it came out of a miyazaki film i actually said out loud oh you gotta be fucking kidding me like <laughs> <laughs> this is just too spectacularly perfect and it also had a fertility festival aspect where the middle-aged ladies or the older ladies of the village would dress up like oji-sans, like old men, yep. 
and they will parade and dance. And there's a lead, uh, there's a lady who would carry a gigantic wooden phallus, and she would rush into the crowds, just jabbing the crowd with with the phallus. And of course, everyone's laughing and shrieking. And all the obasan and the and all the grand grannies in the crowds would just urge their little toddler grandchildren to rub it. They says, "Let her rub it for good luck. Rub it for good luck." I just loved that whole aspect of the earthiness of festivals in Japan. They're not prudish about this sort of thing. I mean, time and place and context, obviously. Yeah. We keep mentioning Aizu Wakamatsu area being a more famous tourist destination. Uh, is there like is there a rivalry? Let's say tourism organizations such as Fukushima Cities and Aizu Wakamatsu, because I imagine that Aizu is sort of like the cool kid in the block. It's so easy for them to to trade on their name and the history, which is much more visible. Like, how much competition would there be? <laughs> um, as far as tourism goes, not between Fukushima City and Aizu, they're kind of different markets.、Mm. There is a lot of rivalry between the the onsen towns. Even、yeah. in Fukushima City with Izaka, Tsuchu, Takayu, yeah, they have a lot of rivalry, even though they're all quite different.、Um, Fukushima's the bigger rivalry is actually between Fukushima City and Koryama, because、yeah. Koryama is the big commercial center, yeah, central, yep, where it's it's kind of like the、um, I don't know the Sydney or Melbourne,、mm. whereas Fukushima City is more like the Canberra. It's the capital.、Right. Yeah, yeah.、It、has all the official functions. Yeah. But I think historically, yeah, Aizu Wakamatsu was the strong samurai town,、mm. and then Nihonmatsu was also had quite samurai traditions. But Fukushima City has always been kind of the administrative center, and then you also have a rivalry between the samurai festival in Minami Soma, yeah, and Aizu. The Soma festival. They have the horse riding festival.、Mm. The Aizu Wakamatsu area is famous for basashi, the horse meat. Right. So you、yes. have one area that traditionally eats horse, and then the other area that part of their samurai culture. So there's a bit of you know about the function of of horses in society there. <laughs> you were saying like the 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 two onsens、uh, have a rivalry. What sort of how does We have three in Fukushima City. So the Izaka Onsen I mentioned before, it's famous for the history of the town. It's very old, and they have lots of festivals. They have the the Kenkamatsuri, the fighting festival I mentioned、cool. earlier. Then one of the other onsen areas is Tsuchi Onsen. They're famous for the Kokeshi Doll. It's really nice, beautiful nature on the river there as well.、Mm. And the third area there is Takayu Onsen. It's the smallest of the three, but the onsen fans. You have that the sulfurous smell, and they love that. Where you go to Takuya Onsen, if you're really mad about onsen, right?、So、the three different areas each have their own kind of unique points. So I'd like everyone to come and stay at all of them. All three. <laughs> yeah. Which one's the one that's open air that has an open air? They all have open air onsens. Yeah.、Cool. Suchu probably has some of the nicest ones. Yeah. Takuya as well has a really good one. Adachiya. That's、mm. really. Uh, so, final thoughts about like、uh, why Fukushima City? Why you come to Fukushima? Do your elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you do want something local and more personal, I feel the people in Fukushima are very, even though they're quite shy, 
they are, they are welcoming and and will will help you if if you need help. You know, it's not a major tourist area, so they're they're happy to introduce you to the local customs and it's just a little window into the real Japan. I mean, Inaka people are obviously better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel like there's an openness in Inaka, at least in Fukushima. There's a curiosity about foreigners uh, that is really quite endearing. Uh, it's almost stalkerish sometimes, but <laughs> the way they know everything about you. And I, I think I've told the story about how uh, one of the times I've taken a taxi back to my apartment block, and once I got out where I was going, I didn't have to finish my address because the taxi driver knew instantly where I lived. Because, oh yeah, of course, you lived in that gaijin block. Yeah, that's fine. I, I know where to go. Don't worry. Just relax, sit back. So yeah. those kind of experiences, it's it's both unnerving and charming at the same time. Definitely. I've definitely had a few of those as well. Yeah, Inaka doesn't quite have the same sort of jadedness about outsiders that you find Tokyo people do because, you know, tourists streaming like on a, on a day, well, they used to on a daily basis. But even now, I mean, in Fukushima City, it's a very different experience to mm. where I was on Jet. I really felt the community was very interested in, in what I was doing and, and welcoming me to be a part of the community when I was on mm. Jet. Now that I'm in the biggest city, you know, it, the, the community's... A bit harder to find yeah. know, where you belong in the community. Um, when you were on jet, were you teaching junior high school or? Yeah, I was teaching uh, junior high school, which is actually pretty good. I think that was a great time of a kid's life to to interact with. I mean, they're they're little shits, <laughs> <laughs> so they can be real shits, you know. But then you also know that a lot of them act up because of problems at home. There's always going to be a reason. They're not doing that because they're necessarily, you know, evil incarnate. And learning to sort of deal with kids and to interact with them helped me a lot, I think. Particularly coming back and working with the kids post-earthquake. For the first time, I think I looked at them like adults. Adults with well, not a lot of life experience, but yeah. they are aware of the issues that's the, that their town is facing. They want to help. They want to do something. So it is quite inspiring, and especially when you come to a, you know, an old tosser like myself who's a bit jaded and cynical, and you come across young people who just still hasn't have the energy and enthusiasm and thinking like, yeah, anything's possible if we put our minds to it and haven't had their hopes and dreams crushed by, <laughs> by the world is actually really inspiring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that doesn't happen till high school in Japan. <laughs> Senior high school. I think the university entrance exams kind of crushes that spirit. That's right. Yes. <laughs> um, but until then, dealing with people who still have like this bottomless well of hope, you know, they are really interesting uh, to to deal with. And yeah, I I hope like no matter how old I get, I'll still be able to deal with young people uh, and get inspiration from them, I guess. Just remind me what, what I used to be. <laughs> I always ask this question uh, of the people I interview about uh, what kind of advice they would give people if they wanted to get into that kind of career that you are in now. One thing I wish I had have known working as a translator, it's not so much how 
good my Japanese is in my current, even though I'm in a Japanese environment, it's my English language that's more important. So I can't just look at a translation and say, oh, this is wrong because it sounds weird. So in translation theory, there's like three different kind of text types that they have. Yeah. You can have expressive language or informative language or the other one, which I've forgotten off the top of my head, but it's for like sales and for um, trying to get people to buy stuff. So you're not translating words and grammar. Mm -hmm. You're translating the whole document and it has a function. Translating what is this document used for rather than what is focusing on grammar. Is the grammar right? A lot of the language I'm writing is, you know, copy for... I'm trying to sell Fukushima City as a travel destination. Mm. So all the translations I see are all perfectly fine grammatically, mm -hmm. but they're not, they're not selling Fukushima. You need a native speaker to be able to, you know, differentiate between mm. just grammatically correct English and something that's going to kind of sparkle and, and sell it a bit more. Yeah, a lot of young translators that I see, I want them to kind of focus less on grammar. A lot of the time... The, the Japanese documents that I, I get, they're not written in the best Japanese. So wow. you, kind of, you have to kind of polish them up a bit and create transcreation is, is a term that I've heard used in the translation industry. So you're not translating, you're transcreating. It sounds like you're cleaning up someone else's mess and just making it better. <laughs> yeah. Yes, a lot, of, a lot of cleaning up messes. Yeah. Ah, Fukushima, how we love you. We could have gone on for hours about Fukushima and its many charms, and we certainly did off mic, such as the Morohashi Museum of Modern Art, which is situated inside a national park and contains one of the best collections of Salvador Dali's art. Fruit picking in Fukushima in summer, pears, peaches, cherries, grapes, apples, and much more. Of course, I must give a shout out to my own second home in Japan, Iwaki City. Another hidden gem, Iwaki is known for its beaches, Yes, Japan has beaches that aren't just located in Okinawa. It's well known among Fukushima jets for the legendary summer beach parties where bonds and friendships are made and where hearts and arses are broken. Iwaki also has the famous Hawaiian Spa Resort, a water park that has a Hawaiian theme. Why? Well, apart from the fact it's Japan, you can also find out by watching the 2006 Japanese film Hula Girls about how Iwaki in the 1960s decided to boost tourism and jobs by forming a hula dance troupe. It was a critical and commercial hit, and was Japan's submission for the 2007 Academy Awards in the foreign film category. It lost out to Germany's entry, The Lives of Others, however. Boo. Iwaki also has a fossil and dinosaur museum, an aquarium, and fantastic hiking, and the best people you could ever hope to meet. Like, I mean, everywhere in Japan is great, of course, but that is only objectively true of Fukushima. I'll post links to the tourism guides and social media that Andy maintains. If you're ever curious about exploring Fukushima, Andy will be more than happy to help you out. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Music for this podcast is Coming Home by Stefano Vita from his album Step by Step and sourced from freemusicarchive.org. It is used under an attribution non-commercial share-alike license. <laughs>